Okay, um, we've, this is, welcome to Eastertide, everyone. I forgot Jeffrey left again. Welcome to Eastertide. Eastertide, Easter in the season of the church, and if there's a, uh, an extra stool, I'll grab it. Uh, if not, no big deal. Easter in the season of the church is not just a day, um, but it's a whole season leading up to Pentecost. In many ways, we celebrate Easter every week, right? Yep. Every, every Sunday is Every Easter. Sunday is Easter. Um, but we're going to do something uh, for the first time. I've been, what, here, 10 years? I had something happen today for the first time. I had somebody give me a hug and tell me my hair smelled good. <laughs> oh, aw, that's sweet. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Or do we approve of that? Are you jealous? It almost oh, makes I, me not want to cut my hair like I was going I to. I know my hair <laughs> smells good. Uh, no, um, uh, for, for 10 years now, we have, I would say, what, 60% of the time followed the lectionary. We've diverted off in the past to do books of the Bible. We've done Acts. We've done Exodus. We've actually gone through Revelation. Yeah, we yeah, did. We're going to be way better this time. Um, <laughs> but whenever we've been in the lectionary, we've been the gospel. And so for the first time in the 10 years here, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, we are going to stay with the lectionary, but we're going to divert out of the gospel. And so uh, every third year, year C, we're in year C, uh, they give us seven weeks in the, in the book of Revelation. And so I decided to take it. And yesterday, my six-year-old now, who hopefully his head is healing up, woke me up at 6.30, and I had nothing better to do than create a sermon series bumper video. And I have been dying to know what you all think. And so without further ado, Jeffrey, hit the next slide. Is that good? Jesse, are you just saying that? You're like, hype, you're a hype boy, or do you actually like it? Thank you. Pass out the swords. Emily? It's called InShot. It's an app. It makes things look cool. Oh, you came to InShot. Hey. Thank you. Okay, let's not make fun of it. No, no, but that was part of like the charm of it. Though. Thank you. That's it was, what was a little bit creepy. I like it. That's what I was going for. That's what I was going for. Now, the hope is by the end, by the last Sunday, I don't know if I'm actually going to follow through. So this might be one of the things I always say I'm going to do, but I don't do. Herman knows about those things. Um, I think by the last Sunday, it changes from like the sad, scary violin to like hopeful music. Yeah. So yeah. That's, we'll see if we get there. Actually, there's a lot of hope in that book. Thanks for that nugget. <laughs> um, okay, uh, honey girl, do you have good handwriting? Good. Can you come here for a sec? Okay. No, this is good. This is not an auto. I, I, I think I'm over you canceling on me and being upset about that. Okay, so will you take this and go maybe to the back table where Alex is pretending to pay attention? Uh, get a new, get a new uh, uh, sheet um, because we're going we're gonna to write down some questions. Today is not the day to solve all the problems of Revelation. Quite frankly, in seven weeks, uh, we will not have solved all the problems of Revelation. 
but it is a communal activity, and so I would love to know, and we'll take some time maybe every week just to add to the list, what questions, when I say we're going to spend seven weeks in Revelation, what questions do you bring to the table? Feel free, my uh, co-host, to uh, add to. Susan, number one. Yeah. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Satanic. Fantastic. Susan, did you know? I, well, and you're going to be more uncomfortable if half of us are gone next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, Susan, just because nobody has a mic, was saying that, that it make, gone, it's no. creepy, doesn't know anything Wait, much Susan, about it. Wait, Susan, what, what would you, if you could boil it down to one question out of all of that, what would your question yeah. be? Yeah. Wait, is that a thing? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. I haven't watched any of the movies. Okay, well, you're like five years late. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, at some point, we lose half of Marvel. So does, do half of us disappear and do half of us stay, stay behind? Is it like the rapture? Yeah, they get raptured. Okay, here, here's a spoiler alert for Wednesday. Okay, actually, let's do this. I'll just be frank. frank. I'm not a rapture guy. I don't see you it. Don't say. Don't believe it. I know. This is a spoiler. I'm not. But I also recognize a lot of folks are. So, uh, show of hands, how many of, you are, how many of you are rapture guys or gals? I'm going to put my hand like halfway Kay. like this. Do you, yeah, do you think that the rapture will happen? No. That's what, no, I'm clarifying your question. Oh. Yes, I, do you believe the rapture will happen in a rapture happening right. as maybe so a, a left behind? So are y'all going somewhere and leaving me behind? Huh? Are y'all going somewhere and leaving the rest uh, Greg of us Greg asked, behind? why don't I? I cannot, that, this sermon is not going to get to that, but over the next seven weeks, this is one of those teases they do on radio, come back, we'll, we'll, we'll dress that. This is not today. Um, so we had a few. How many are not? How many would say, I'm not a rapture person? I'm also going to put my hand like halfway, so it's like... Okay. Yeah. How many just don't want to raise their hand right now? <laughs> um, yeah. So, spoiler alert, this is, this, is the, this is what I was embarrassed to talk about for announcements. Um, and if any of my friends, clergy friends, log on, because uh, I would say 80% of the clergy I converse with are not rapture people. They don't believe in it. Um, so don't judge me to my clergy people. Or I just like good TV. Um, we're going to on Wednesday watch the Nicolas Cage version of Left Behind. Oh, interesting. Cool. Okay, so here's the reason, Cage. though. I'm going to just tell you straight up. I'm going to tell you straight up. We're going to watch it. Yeah, me too. We're going to watch it. Sylvia, are you paying attention right now? I'm just kidding. We're going to watch it. 7 o'clock, Popcorn Wednesday, Nicolas Cage left behind. But here's the thing. Tell me later. Here's the thing. The next Wednesday, we're going to deconstruct the crap out of it. Okay. 
And I'm going to strongly recommend this book. So I am extending an olive branch to you left behind people. I'm extending it to you. But I am going to at the same time recommend this book. It's called The Rapture Exposed. The Rapture Exposed by Barbara Rossing. If you're a rapture person, highly recommend. I'll even buy a copy for like five people if I have to. Okay, that's my rapture thing. That's my I think, announcement. I think we need to recognize that when I had my conversation with my mom and said, uh, um, and was t telling her what I, what I honestly understood the Bible to be talking about, and she, she said, what, are you telling me you don't believe in the rapture? I said, Mom, I have not believed in the rapture for a very long time because the biblical motif is just not there. And uh, that troubled her deeply, and I'm sure she is still in heaven praying for me now. Yep. Unless Jesus has already corrected her. We'll come back to that. I want to get back to questions. Nicholas, you had a question. So it's deeply felt. No, I'm asking for questions, not expecting. Okay. Okay. Okay, that's great. Good question. Uh, honey girl, I don't know how you write it down. What do we do with Why does God come off so a mean? least perceived picture of Jesus in the Gospels, loving, graceful? But when you get to Revelation, God appears a bit schizophrenic because suddenly it seems like a lot of wrath and, and judgment. So I don't know how you want to. How do we interpret God's judgment? That's a good question. Sure. Bonnie. I have a problem with verse 70 in the first chapter that I never understood it. Read verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those, even who, those who pierced him. Who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Will you just put down Revelation 1 7 question mark? We're going to touch lightly on that today. But that's a great question. We don't have enough time to go in depth. We'll circle back to that because that's a really good question. Yeah, David Dunn. Yeah. I sure do. So, yeah, so just put... We need to clarify because of the question. The Nazarene Church does not preach that it allows its its pastors and its people to believe it it has no specific end times other than we believe jesus is coming back in the judgment yeah we have a very middle road statement um honey girl maybe a question in, inside of what david if i could interpret what you're saying is so many people say so many different things how are we supposed to know what to believe yeah that's so any other questions for today? Again, you, you don't have to get all the questions down today. We're, we got seven weeks. We might take an extra week just to like wrap it all up with a tidy bow. Okay, good, good. Anybody else? Alex, did you have any questions? Okay, cool. I'll be nice later, I promise. Susan. Yeah, yeah. So when you're dealing with a text that is so mysterious. Yep.
Yeah. And that's been happening all through history. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And right now it would be Putin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's been moved. Yeah, it's really good. And and how can we kind of come that to something positive? Because I'm sure there's a lot positive there. I just like to yep. we, we kind of avoided it. So quick question um, to you, question to you two. Let's read it and let's dive in. And there's no way we're gonna get through it. This is good that I lost my notes. So we're just gonna fly on the seat of our pants. Um, did you know, and I, I think this is true, I heard this in an interview, I didn't clarify, I didn't fact check it. So that's always dangerous. My understanding is that the Eastern Orthodox affirm the book of Revelation as scripture, but it is never in their liturgical, like their lectionary, you won't find it. They just will not read it during public worship. They don't know what to do. Like, not that they don't know what to do with it. They think it's so, there's so many places that you could trip people up and get some bad and dangerous theology that they'll do Bible studies about it, they'll talk about it on a Wednesday night over coffee, but in, uh, in the gathering of the people of God for the worship of God, you don't find it. Is that, do you know if that's true? Yeah. Okay. Um, so how is Revelation applicable to modern day is what I would good. put on the post. And is it? Is right. it? Yeah, it is, that's but, a, it, but not as one might think. Right, that's a question that you can ask about all the books of the Bible, but in this case, Revelation does Well, then that brings up other questions. Is Revelation primarily a future prophecy or a timely prophecy for that time? Is or re, both. Is Revelation predictive? And reflective. I don't want, or what? Or reflective? Or both. Or both, yeah. yeah. Um, Jeffrey, hit the slide. Uh, Luther, again, I didn't fact check this. This is simply Google, and Google said Luther said this. So, yeah. uh, and that's why you're not the only one. No pastor, yeah, you've got it. No, you're not the only one. We can fact check later. It gives us something to talk about. Yeah. Fact check later. Whether he said it or not, this is still. I'll, an if I'm wrong, statement. and actually, I do think this is one of those that some people have maybe challenged. I don't know. Emily, do you know? You're laughing at me. Do you know? He does. He does. So Luther on <laughs> Revelation. He rejected the Book of James. I feel an aversion to it. And to me, this is sufficient reason to reject it. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, wanted nothing to do with the book of Revelation. So, my first question. Too bad, there's so much good My in first it. question to you. Let's assume right now, uh, let's, assume, let's assume that that quote is moderately correct. Mm -hmm. Jesse, I think, is fact-checking right now as we speak, hopefully. Okay, cool. Um, let's assume... <laughs> Let's assume somewhere in the mystery that is to come that we call heaven, uh, Martin Luther is in a comfy chair, uh, much like Martha is sitting right here, sitting next to Pastor Bonnie, and they got some popcorn, and they are uh, cosmically tuning in to our intro discussion on Revelation. And uh, Bonnie is going to make the ultimate judgment, and uh, Luther wants to know if we can convince him that Revelation should be read. Uh, Lorenzo, I'm going to you, and then I'll go to you. Why, should, why is Luther wrong? Well, uh, you know, and it, I will say this with any book of the Bible, um, I would even say that the books that we call Apocrypha are also necessary, and, and the Catholics... Which Revelation is one? 
Right. So the Catholics embrace this whole library of books that we as mm -hmm. Protestants do not. Right. But I would say that actually they are important for us as believers to read and that anything that comes out of the historical church, any writings, any letters at all, whether contained within the Holy Scripture or not, that we should definitely pay attention to them, um, as well as all of the events that surrounded so the writing and the people who wrote those, these stories or these visions. She likes your box. Oh, I'm glad you do. I'm glad somebody does. Yeah, we'll come back to it. This uh, is the missions box, people. Yeah, right, your mission idea is there. Uh, why is Martin Luther, the uh, Protestant reformer, wrong um, <laughs> on this issue? <laughs> sure. At the time of Martin Luther, I don't understand it, to be honest with you. It doesn't strike me as something he would say, because for him, salvation was communal. So it was about the city-states, it was about the world around him becoming like Christ and the kingdom of God coming to earth. Without revelation, now I'm going to add one other thing, we in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century Protestant, the Protestant Reformation has led to a place that is both good and bad. The bad part of it, and that is we personalize salvation as an individual thing only. And that is such a difference between that, the first 1,600 years of the church and certainly out of the, the womb of the church into the first three, 400 years. They believed that God was coming to restore the earth to the original garden. If you do not have revelation, you don't have the end seen. You That's don't good. have the garden dry. That's good. Um, let's, let's start by reading today's text. Maybe we should do that. When I say start, I know we, yeah, I don't even know. My phone's on me. What time is it? Can I add one other little thing? It depends on what time it is. Five till. Five till noon. Oh, great. That it's means one, we have like 45 minutes. It's one, <laughs> it's one sentence. Yeah. If I'm in Ukraine, or a Ukraine-like experience, Revelation is my only hope. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I, told, uh, I told Bonnie's kids that I was using her Bible for preaching, and they found that meaningful yesterday. Um, Revelation 1, the text for today, uh, is the first eight verses, and it goes like this. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, the, one of the questions that I, I had written down that I didn't write down here um, when I realized I lost my notes was, uh, when it says it's the testimony of Jesus Christ, does that mean that it's the testimony of Jesus who's doing the testifying, or is it the testimony about Jesus the Christ? Mm -hmm. Or is it both? <laughs> or is it both? Blessed, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead. I love that phrase. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, 
He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God for the people of God, from the people of God. Thanks, Thanks, be, thanks be to God. Bonnie. Bonnie, I'm so mad because I love your question, and I just don't think we're going to have time to do it justice. But, oh, I'm mad because we have to find time to circle back to it. That is, like, I think that's a central question to understanding Revelation. Um, so I love that you said it. Uh, first, second, first question after reading the scripture. Uh, nerdy stuff. When was Revelation written? I think the two uh, working theories are it was somewhere in the mid to late 60s, early 70s, kind of in the Nero time of persecution or post-Nero uh, immediately after that, or a later theory like the 90s that uh, is either Domitian or is reflecting on Nero 20-ish years later. I've always just heard that it was exactly first century, um, probably after the temple was destroyed. So you would say later. I I mean, at least that's what I've heard. I've been reading Revelation for a long time, like since I was, I don't even know, since I first found the Bible. Um, and King so, James? Yeah, King oh, James. Oh, that's terrible. It's that's very, so it's scary. <laughs> yeah, King James has a, um, uh, if you want to read the scariest version of Revelation, okay. open King James, um, which I love. And so, I mean, that's just always been kind of the tradition that I've, I, I'm not, I don't hold on to it like the same way that others might, or even okay. onto other beliefs around the rapture. I find it interesting that there's a lot in those first eight verses that Christians don't embrace already and so to kind of like jump into the rest of Revelation without first giving grace and peace and love it's like the prerequisite yeah. right yep so yep yep um yeah anyway yep. I, that I ended up answering a question that you didn't ask 60s 90s something else uh, late 90s late 90s you're late 90s interesting I okay that's interesting I don't actually know I would have said late 90s but uh I'm I actually signed up for an online class on Revelation with like a bunch of people uh, that I really respect, and they would say 60s. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, second question, and I'm curious what everyone thinks. Emily, I'm curious what you think. Who wrote it? And by that I mean, double question. Did the same John who wrote the Gospel of John write Revelation? And if your answer is yes, which that is not a universal yes in church tradition, if your answer is yes, is that John, the son of Zebedee, the disciple, or a different John? Right. I think the tradition, at least as far as I would recall it, is that it is the same John and that he did write it um, while he was exiled. Yes. Right? And so that, I don't know, I think that that's where it lands. But then, that, wouldn't that mean then that it was written much earlier then? It wouldn't have been 90s then at that point. Um, Right, it's very. It's all well, very John was the latest uh, d- disciple. He could have lived into the nineties if he was young. Right, which, which I think tradition Sorry, says you he was. S- you're a yes. So he it, would have been like no, eighty. I'm not necessarily a Johannian. Um, Revelation feels a little different than than the deal. I used to be really strict for, um, for the same reason in reverse, but the more I read it, the less it sounds like Saint John. I'm absolutely convinced Saint John wrote John and and the first, third, second, and third John, or mm-hmm. at least the first two. See, I would say the consensus, based on my studies... John the Seer would be my guess. <laughs> the consensus based on my studies, which is slightly more than Wikipedia, Jesse, just so you're... Uh, <laughs> no. um, 
is that the same John wrote both, but it's not John the son of Zebedee. I don't know what to do with that. Yes. Well, I mean, the answer is yes. It, it, it's, um, the who is less important than the when because, it, because, because here's the reason. So here's part of it. If you take Revelation seriously as the Word of God, and I do, then we have to listen to it in its own context. Before you ever interpret it beyond the context, always go to context first. John, Why did you do the that? Seer, or John, the, the uh, beloved, is writing to the seven churches of Asia, and one of the reasons I would argue that it is John the Beloved is because we know he was bishop over those seven churches and in that region, and he lived with Mary, so that, I, that's a good argument for him. Um, but the, the heartbeat of the book is in the first three chapters. These churches are going to die if they don't remain faithful to this gospel, and then the rest of it is, we'll wait on the rest right. of it. But so the who does become important because of the authority um, over which the, the scriptures are, or I guess back when it was written, the letters, the authority with which the, the letters are being written. So we take the letter seriously because we take the person seriously, or at least their disciples. So whoever it was that wrote this would have had to have a strong connection to the church. And since it's assumed that it was written in exile, that's why there is a lot of mystery around when and, and who wrote it. Another reason it could still be John uh, the Beloved, which I, I'm, uh, as opposed to John the Seer, is um, when you're in prison, you're not going to write the same way, and you're not going to have access to papyrus. So you're probably writing through other people anyway. Right. So in other words, you're communicating bits and pieces and saying, get this out. David, it's interesting. Uh, Herman, I'm going to give you another reason why you're right and I'm wrong. The round doesn't work, though I love it. Is I, in doing it this way, I can look around the room and I can see there's like two-thirds of the room like, yeah, I'm with David. Why does this matter? Can we hurry up? Um, I see some of your faces. The nap is kicking in early. Uh, but I want to say you, you cannot. There's one pastor here. I'm not. He jokes. And I'm with the joking part. I, I wouldn't take it to its fullest context. Who, he jokes. And, and, and this is not a wildly liberal pastor. Uh, but he jokes that Christians should not be allowed to read the book of Revelation and, until they pass the driver's test first. Uh, <laughs> that you have to do hard work if you're going to read Revelation. Part of why it matters is we have to do hard work. And if we're not willing to sit in the hard work of reading it, um, we're gonna, if we're not willing to do the work, Revelation could get really toxic really fast. And uh, the reality is John's hearers, the people he was writing to, would have understood all of the references to the Old Testament, all of the references to the prophets, all of to Chuck's uh, book that he loves, all of the references to Enoch that are in there. They would have understood these things. And the references to Rome. To Rome. And the seven hills. And the... When they would have heard 666, and the they're not thinking, well, is that Obama? Is that Trump? Is that Putin? When they heard 666, they're like, oh, we know who that is. It's Emperor Nero. Um, so we have, why does it matter? Because if we want to understand this crazy book, we've got to be really good students. Otherwise, it'll pass us up and it'll do a lot of damage to the church, which it's done. Uh, okay, my whole, my whole outline is blown because we're just late on time. Let's, let's, give a, let's give a pathway. Let's give a pathway of how we're going to walk this over the next seven weeks. Um, 
first of all, we're going to honor it's apocalyptic. Would one of you give us your, or your, both of you, I don't care, your best 30 seconds on what is apocalyptic literature? Um, maybe next week. Next week we'll watch the Bible Project video. I have it here, but it's too long. So apocalyptic to literature almost always is not a map. It's not a future prediction based on a map, and this is what's going to happen and when and why. Apocalyptic literature is more like a camera-angled shot into the future, which may include and does in this book an apocalypse, but you're looking at it from different heels, different angles. You're taking snapshots, and so there's a constant repetitive from chapter 3 on. There's a constant repeating of the same themes over and over and over, and each time it gets worse and worse and worse, and until finally the victory. By the way, can I just say... That's a beautiful picture. Yeah. The kids playing in the background. Yeah, it is. Um, it's one of the reasons I like it. Pastor Sarah, for those of you who don't know, is, this is, uh, you know, how dare she take a vacation week? Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we pay her $100 a month. <laughs> she should be here every, no. She's, and such a, such a yeah. nice place. Yeah, she, so she's <laughs> taking the week and being with family. Um, Oh, pray Especially for as our mom's getting ready for heart surgery. So pray for her. And um, I think she'd be proud. They're just hanging out and having a good old time in church. And I hope you're all okay with that. I love it. Two weeks where they've done godly play uh, and walked yep. the adults through. Yep. Apocalypse means unveiling. So apocalypse is not a predictive map, I think, to, to say what you said. But it is unveiling of, of the realities of heaven that are at play Mysteries among us. And you accept it. You understand it. So given that this is apocalyptic literature, one of our pathways is we are going to take seriously the imagery of the book. We are not going to jump to literalism where literalism was not intended. And we're not going to do what sometimes evangelicals do is to take uh, the easy ones that are clearly imagery, imagery, and then try to attach literalism to things we want to be literal. Uh, we are going to take seriously, so let me give you an example. It's never good to read a Bible commentary in a sermon, but I'm going to do it. Who laughed at that? Was that you, Greg? Uh, this is a new one I just got for this. Uh, here, he's talking about the images of the seven spirits that we just read. Mm -hmm. The image of the seven spirits who are before the throne of God comes to John from Zechariah 4, 1-14. It's an obscure passage from the Hebrew Bible associated with the restoration of the Jerusalem temple after the return of exile. The pro this prophecy also appears in John's vision to the seven churches. Zechariah sees a lampstand with the seven lamps. He asks the interpreting angel to explain what they signify. After assuring him with the authority of the Lord that the restored temple will come not by might nor by power but by my spirit, the meaning of the lamps is provided. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. For John, the seven spirits are a complete manifestation of the Spirit. They belong to God as they are before the throne. As the narrative unfolds, the seven spirits will come to have other associations, and these spirits that belong to God will reach out to humankind in a fashion that parallels Zechariah's description of them, as the Lord's eyes. For the moment, they are part of John's primitive presentation of a trinity, a transcendent God, the seven divine spirits before the throne of God and Jesus. John asks that grace and peace be poured out on those who receive his document from God, the spirits, and Jesus Christ. And another pillar with that 
is that don't despise, this is from Zechariah, just when it says not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Don't despise the day of small things. This church is a living example. This recent floor renovation is just a small microcosm that God keeps doing stuff we would never be able to do on our own. Yep. So we're going to take imagery seriously. Do you have a favorite image in Revelation? I, I don't know which one I would choose as my favorite, but the one that always sticks in my mind is obvious. I mean, the celestial like birth and the dragon chase, chasing after the child or yeah. however that was yeah. told. Yeah, that one yeah, yeah. We'll get stuck to, in my head. Um, second thing. My favorite? We don't care. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite thing? You know, what's your favorite? That Jesus is always presented as the word, the sword, but if the sword is a word that melts sin, destroys everything that's, that's not like God, and does it by the breath of his words, not by violence. Read yeah. it again and again and again. You will see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to take Revelation seriously um, for what it would have been heard from that audience, and that would be a critique of Babylon, a.k.a. a critique of Rome, a.k.a. a critique of empire. Uh, Ken Senior, this is a, it, 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 it hints at a question you were getting at during Sunday school, but why is John island, uh, exiled on an island of Patmos? Because he, um, he was perceived as an enemy of the state. He was perceived as dangerous to the politics of Rome. So when we get to Revelation, I think it's 17, and you get the picture that John gives us, and, and forgive me, this is tough language, but it's in the Bible, so you can't be mad at me. Um, but we get the picture of the whore riding on the dragon. Well, what's John doing there? He is picturing this, this whore is actually a, a, a picture of the goddess Roma, the goddess Roma representing the grandeur of Rome. And now John, as this political enemy of Rome, is picturing the goddess Roma, everything that represented the best of Rome. She is a whore, and she's on the back of a dragon. Well, what would the equivalent be for us? It would be like, what if I use the example of the Statue of Liberty? But the Statue of Liberty is a whore. And the Statue of Liberty, that whore, is on the back of a dragon. Well, now you see why John's getting exiled. Unfortunately, that would be a pretty accurate read. It really is. I mean, uh, because the problem with Rome is consumerism, lust, and violence with lust, power destroying the weakest persons, owning all the economic levers and all the military levers. Yeah. David Dunn? Well, so, yeah, 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 we'll, 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 we'll cover stuff like that. Here's, the, here's my third interpretive pathway, and then I'm going to ask you guys if you have any interpretive pathways. We're going to interpret Revelation through the lens of Jesus. We're not going to interpret Jesus through the lens of Revelation. 
Now, Revelation has some things to say, but Jesus is our interpretive lens. So, when we perceive ourselves as seeing great deals of violence coming from uh, God, like God's wrath being poured out, well, we're going to interpret that through Jesus. I see your face. You're going you're to nuance this, aren't you? Uh, uh, we'll nuance it, but I agree with so it. So, what I, what I want to say, though, is, is like the sword image. This is not, Revelation is not throwing out the Sermon on the Mount. This is not John the Revelator saying the Sermon on the Mount was good for when Jesus preached it, but obviously it didn't work, so damn the world. Right. Uh, we're going to go wrath now. Now that uh, he's risen. It's not the undoing of the Noah, uh, uh, the Noah rainbow or the Noah bow that God places in the sky, the bow and arrow. No. Revelation is Jesus with a sword, but it's a sword from his mouth. So we will interpret Revelation through the lens of Jesus. How, how else would you do it? Oh, I thought you were going to challenge me. Okay. Any interpretive lens you want to add? Because we're so far Oh, yeah, I, an interpretive lens. I asked I'm Lorenzo sorry. first. Oh, forgive me. Go ahead, please. No, yes. um, all I was going to say is what I always say, which is that it is important to learn of the history of the document um, and all of the people that surrounded it. it. I love all of David Dunn's questions because, yeah it, yep. yeah, it really does go into you have to research why they wrote what they wrote. I mean, I don't have anything else to add except I have my own questions like um, Terry said that there's hope in the book. What hope do you find and where? Sean, you used a bunch of creepy imagery in your intro, which I loved. Why did you choose those images specifically? This is not for today. This is just what I'm leaving with. Um, also, you said something like, we're not here to solve revelation. I, I like that because I feel like people, when, when we started to adopt the rapture theology at its core, um, without adopting the rest of the book of Revelation, what we were trying to do is solve the book of Revelation um, with the rapture. And, but I also, on the other side, want to ask about rapture motifs because there have been people who have been taken from earth yep. into heaven according to well, Scripture. Yeah, Come back to that. That's, so yeah, those are just, that's just all that I'm just By the way, because about. Jeffrey gave the spoiler alert, I probably should use it so you know why I was doing it. Jeffrey, hit the next slide. Um, political cartoon. Don't get <laughs> no. mad. I have a second one. I equally will make fun of both sides. So everyone, have your moment to laugh. I, I still think it's funny. Tweeter nuke. <laughs> okay, haha. Okay, next slide. Okay. <laughs> Come on. We can make fun of both sides. Okay, next slide so people can stop being mad. Why do I use political cartoons? Because yeah. there must have been five or six commentators as you study Revelation that is the illustration they come back to. Revelation is a type of political cartoon in many ways. It is primarily that. So you have to, somebody 2,000 years from now, if we show them those pictures, they'll have no idea what those mean. But we know them because we lived through Trump's presidency. We lived through the Afghanistan thing last summer. Um, so we can laugh. Or, well, we, yeah. We can. <laughs> yeah. Right. And nuclear war is a very real possibility either way. So. One of the ways we'll see Revelation is as a kind of political satire, political cartoon. Before you some, can I give mine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Revelation is not so much an exclamation mark as it is a question. Prophecy, I mean, um, judgment always in the Old Testament has its primary purpose is to change the church. Its primary church purpose is to confront the church about taking seriously this countercultural message of love. And in Revelation, the question is really asked of the first seven churches, and that's why the question, 
Will you live into this gospel so that your lamps live forever? Or will you not? And that is the pertinent question throughout it. Let me, uh, let me give you some resources. Again, I know this is super, today's super heady. Uh, forgive me. What is it? Sorry, not sorry. Um, I don't know where you guys are going. I have oh, one I more thing for you. Uh, yeah. Uh, but some resources. Next slide first, Jeffrey. Uh, Dad, have you ever had uh, books that you loved and you realized somebody in the church stole them from you? <laughs> yes. Okay, these are two of them. And I have reordered them uh, as of this morning. They'll get here midweek. Oh, okay. One is called Reading Revelation Responsibly. Highly recommend that. Highly, highly, highly recommend if you want to do a deep dive. If you want a more academic book, um, the New Testament theology, the theology of the book of Revelation by Bauckham. Bauckham is universally like thought of super well. Uh, is that Bauckham? Uh, Richard Bauckham. If you're, uh, if you're somebody who likes Eugene Peterson who wrote the message, he got Reverse Thunder. That's, a, that's kind of a more lay, kind of more devotional uh, book I recommend. Um, if you're somebody that likes to just study along with us, but you want to do it, a, you, know, like, you don't want it to be super academic, like Terry Matson academic, I'd recommend N.T. Wright's Revelation for Everyone. Uh, it's kind of a verse by verse, but for lay people. Uh, if you, this isn't one that's really about revelation per se, uh, but it, it gets on the future hope of Christians. And if you want to m something that will mess with your mind, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Uh, I think this one's on audiobook, so if you're somebody that likes to listen while you drive, get that. Um, yeah, I think it's it. And N.T. Wright is a thoroughly understandable, even though he speaks yep. about theology. This, this is the book when you talk to pastors who used to be fundamentalists and are no longer. This is the book that almost every pastor will say, yeah, yep. that messed with me. So Surprised by Hope. Uh, it's really good. And then I just, this is a devotional I just got this week from N.T. Wright. It's not new writing. It's kind of a compilation of bits and pieces of all uh, his writing. It was called On Earth as It Is in Heaven. Um, just little snippets. And uh, so if you want a good devotional book that also forms kind of your future wow. outlook, that's that. I'll, I'll uh, that. Next slide. to Jesus moment type thing all shall be well well all shall be well that's mine oh okay Jeffrey um, wasn't supposed to go to it evangelical moment concerning the book of revelation where do we where do we even begin you know we're always scared of the end of something and the end of this life is a scary thing. And the further we progress into our own humanity, the closer it seems that we are to ending ourselves because we have so much capability. The reality is that in the beginning, um, you know, for those three days that the Lord was buried, who knows what kind of prophecies would have been written at that time about how everything was ending. We just slaughtered the best thing to ever happen to us. Um, but even in those three days, the word was still alive. So no matter, I would say, approach the book of Revelation on your own 
that um, to ask God for counsel direct. Just go straight to him and ask him to counsel you through your reading of the book of Revelation. I know that's not a big come to Jesus moment, but I think that's how I am. Can I add on to that before I go to my dad? Yes, 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 but not only. Do that as long as you also do it in community. Right, with one, yeah, that's why we're here. Because you don't want to, like, I, you know, all these books and stuff are great. I would always just point people back, if you want to read anything extra biblical, go and pick up C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. We, we should be concerned, and, and just to put it on a surface level, I don't mean this this way, but it's cute if you can pick up Revelation and learn a little bit of it here and there. But if you're not practicing mere Christianity, then I don't know what the point is of re- reading the book of Revelation. But since we're here together, yeah, we can, I think that it's the only way is together. We're not going to, I'll be lost by myself. I think the biggest tragedy in the heart of God must be the American Evangelical Church, which is responsible in many ways for getting the gospel out, nevertheless has both lived and lived into a gospel that says you can have it all here, and when you go to heaven, it's going to be Disneyland forever. Hence, the rapture is a way out of whatever pain there is. That is not the biblical experience. The biblical experience is that it's a world of great injustice where things can turn on a dime. Everything you thought was real to you can, in fact, be pulled from you. But when it happens, God has not escaped out of here. God is in the heart of what's happening and is still working and through you. It may cost you everything, but trust Jesus. And mine was just a quote I saw in studying this week from uh, Julian of Norwich. I don't know if you've seen this quote, but I love this quote. Are you kidding me? Oh, I'm sorry. I read it. I, I, I've written it several times in several of my books. I don't read your writing, so I don't. That's true. Just kidding. <laughs> um, she says, all shall be well. All shall be well. For there is a force of love moving through the universe that holds us fast and will never let us go. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that is the, the message we will find in Revelation if we will do the hard work. Amen? Amen. This is week one. We're just getting started. Keep bringing your questions. Come watch a terrible movie with us on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> Let us come together in the quietness and chaos of the moment. We don't have music. We don't have a video. We really don't even have time, but we can't not do it. Would you come to the table as you are ready and grab uh, the cup, and we will partake of the elements together.